a giant, beastly male who identifies as a woman beat down three females during a girls' basketball game in the name of inclusivity, of course. Deranged liberal activists in Seattle are declaring a homosexual antifada, and a UK university hospital system claims trans milk, which is not a thing, is as good for babies as breast milk from a female. It's What the F Wednesday with Greg Price, so prepare yourselves. Then, comedian David Lucas royally pissed off black comedy club goers with a joke about BLM and St. George Floyd. He joins me in studio tonight. The show starts now. It's Wednesday, and I think I speak for all of us when I say, what the F? Before I bring in Greg Price to dive into some of these wild headlines with me, I'd like to express my first WTF, Nikki Haley, who is, for whatever reason, still running for president, even though she's about to lose her home state by a lot. That's why I refuse to quit. South Carolina will vote on Saturday. But on Sunday, I'll still be running for president. I'm not going anywhere. She's like Hillary Clinton, but no, actually, no, she's just like Hillary Clinton. Speaking of women, let's just take a running pile drive right into this first WTF moment. What you're seeing here is a giant, beastly male who identifies as a female trampling the proverbial ovaries out of at least three girls' basketball players. So let's bring in my friend Greg Price with what I'm sure will be more analysis, uh, a play-by-play, if you will, of that wonderful uh, moment of inclusivity, diversity, and tolerance. Greg, uh, what do you make of this? Do you think that this just screams um, rainbow, love, tolerance, unity, is that what that's giving to you? Yeah, I mean, female empowerment today is you just have to be thrown around by a six foot two dude in your sports or else you're sexist at this point. It's completely insane. Like, and we see these videos all the time. They go viral of men playing women's sports and the obvious happens where they're either dominating or somebody's getting hurt. And, you know, after seeing that video, the biggest question I had is like, where are the fathers, Tommy? Like, where are the dads of these girls? Like, I'm thinking if I had a daughter who was on that team and getting thrown around by this giant dude on the court, I definitely wouldn't be able to sit still. And, you know, I come from a family of athletes. I have 11 cousins and seven of us were college athletes. And I'm thinking about what, you know, my dad and my uncles, what they would do if they saw their daughters going through this. I just don't understand how they can sit still and watch it. Do you think that part of that, though, is because of that whole atmosphere of cancel culture or whatever you want to call it, where parents that speak out, female athletes that speak out, you know, they're automatically labeled, they are intolerant, they are the ones that face consequences, disciplinary action. You know, in certain parts of the country, maybe not here in Tennessee, but in certain parts of the country, speaking up and standing up for your actual daughter will get you in more hot water than being a 6'2 dude throwing around a female. That's the unfortunate reality. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And I I think that video took place in Massachusetts, so I can only imagine what speaking out against this up there would be like. But, you know, push push has to come to shove at some point. Like, this can only go on for so long before more women start speaking out about it and before more parents, you know, stand up and say, you know, I don't want my daughter to get the crap beaten out of her by a dude in her sport. Like, I understand that the, the societal pressure is there to to be quiet about it and just let it happen. But there's got to come a point where enough is enough. And I hopefully that point comes soon. 
Hopefully it comes before an actual female gets actually seriously injured. We know there's been a number of injuries, but I think unfortunately it's going to take somebody getting seriously and maybe permanently injured for somebody to say, you know, maybe men shouldn't be doing this. I hope that day comes too, uh, but I'm not having a lot of optimism currently, especially given the state of the world. And this next story that I wanted to bring to your attention, let's go to another liberal loony bin, which is Seattle, where liberal activists... Um, they are petitioning for a homosexual antifada. They put posters around the city. You know, I, I don't know exactly what they're calling for here. It seems like the biggest oxymoron I've ever heard of to call for such a thing. But do you think these liberal Seattle activists, do you think that they have the first clue about what they're actually talking about? Or do they just not care? Oh, God, as if the antifada wasn't bad enough. Now they're going to make it gay. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, it's incredibly, I, I think like, lib, not just the LGBT community, but liberals in general being so gung-ho for Palestine, despite the fact they have a culture that is almost diametrically opposite to America's in general, but specifically what the left-wing culture in America, and especially when it comes to LGBT rights. I don't think, you know, if, if you go to Gaza and you start kissing someone of the same sex, that's not exactly going to go over well for you. And it's just always boggled my mind why they can't, like why they are so gung ho for these people when you know this war is the third world fighting against the first world is exactly what it is and it's just strange to me. Yeah, you know they claim that there's some kind of an equivalence between the Palestinian people and then what they feel is marginalized people in the gay community. I'm going to say, you know, Greg, at least in the last five years, I'm sure that there are some people in the gay community who are marginalized, maybe depending on where they live in the United States. But I would say by and large, being gay in the U.S. of gay is actually more popular, more tolerated, more celebrated than being just plain old regular straight anymore. Am I wrong? I mean, no, that's it's obviously true. Like every forgotten celebrity, when they want some relevance again, comes out with they them pronouns or says they're, you know, one of 1000 genders at this point. It's something that is, you know, it's something that will get you glowing coverage in the media and everywhere else. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously true. You know, it makes me think of the movie Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping with Andy Samberg where he plays a former pop star, becomes relevant again by becoming a social justice activist. Yeah, that's pretty much a, a daily occurrence now. And, you know, we're just knee-deep in award season, so I'm sure we're going to get more lectures from the liberal elites who, of course, don't do anything of what they preach, but they want all the little people to do just that. You know, in speaking about that and speaking about liberal cities, I know that you've been posting about it a lot. I certainly have been posting about it a lot. But the illegal immigrants that really are just ruling the roost, I mean, they are going buck wild. These places are already buck wild. But now you've got illegal immigrants out on the streets. I'm sure where you live, you see some of it. I spend a lot of time in New York City. I've always been afraid to be out in New York City since the pandemic. But now it's even worse. Illegals running rampant. Now we see footage where they're, you know, attacking law enforcement officers in a shelter. You see them making off with government vehicles and taking off. Just yesterday, there was report of an Amazon driver who had an illegal immigrant who was drunk and naked, try to steal his packages. And then this poor Amazon driver is the one that gets arrested, I think, in addition to the illegal. But I'm just wondering what you think is going to happen here. What is it going to come to in these cities? Because I feel like we're edging closer and closer to the purge. And these entire states are just becoming one giant penitentiary for wackos, illegal immigrants and thugs. 
Yeah, and these are the cities that passed sanctuary city laws, and they invited this into their cities. And the whole migrant crisis, if you want to call it that, it's completely intentional. Like 7.2 million illegals have crossed our borders since Joe Biden has become president. And it didn't just happen in a vacuum. Joe Biden allowed it to happen. He's he's perfectly under the law. He is able to open the border and close the border. And this is completely intentional. 7.2 million is larger than the population of over 35 American states. This is enough people. This is enough people to turn states that have voted red for a long time blue, which is exactly why they're doing it. And you know, cities may be struggling to keep up with the migrants that have been sent to them by Texas, but at the end of the day, they want to create a new electorate that will keep Democrats in power forever. So I think they're not exactly as angry about it as maybe they're saying on on TV. What do you make of all these illegal immigrants that are being put on planes and thrown around, uh, flown around the country? I mean, we've had obviously numerous reports. I believe, and I can't verify it, but I believe I've seen it with my own eyes in the airport. You know, you see people that don't necessarily have the documentation that everybody else has, but they're able to go on through. And you know, you, you can just tell that there are certain people that are certainly flying, and they probably don't have to show an ID or a government-issued ID or passport. And I'm just wondering what you think is going to happen with all of that. And if we're really ignoring a giant national security risk, as now in California, we're welcoming in people from all over the world, but specifically by the hundreds from China. I'm just wondering, you know, we had a spy balloon traverse our country about a year ago for seven days. This feels a lot worse than that. Oh, yeah. If, if we have a major terrorist attack in our country from somebody who crossed our southern border, that's 100 percent on Joe Biden. It's 100 percent on Joe Biden, every single Democrat that has tolerated the, the porous border for the, over the last couple of years. And yeah, what you said about illegals being flown all over the country, it, it's a massive scandal. The complicity of America's airlines, as well as the NGOs that receive government funding that basically work to resettle all of these people that have crossed our border all over the country. They're sending them to, you know, they're, they're sending them all over the place with full complicity of Delta and of American Airlines. It's a massive scandal and it's one that Congress really hasn't touched yet. And I think there needs to be hearings about it, for sure. There's something needs to be done about this because, you know, 7.2 million people in four years is a lot of people. And, you know, who knows how many total illegals are in our country right now. But, you know, the, the longest, the, the largest margin of victory in the history of a presidential election was 17 million. And, you know, who knows how many illegals are in our country. And we know Dems want to give all of them citizenship. Yeah, uh, when they say 7.2 million cross, it's probably closer to 10. When they say that there was 10 million already here, that's probably closer to 20 or 30. So you've got enough people to make up the difference in any election, and that's exactly the point. Uh, also note on the airlines, you know, it wasn't too long ago where you couldn't fly without a mask or masking your toddler, but we've got illegals up in the air without proper documentation or vetting. So I feel a whole lot safer now. Add that to, of course, the diversity, inclusion, equity, blah, 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 and we're feeling real safe up there. Plus the fact that wings are falling off, all just wonderful, wonderful. 
uh, notes about the third world country that apparently we live in. But you brought up, you know, people in our country and people who are able to get away with things. That's why I want to talk to you about, you know, this ever-evolving story about the Kansas City Super Bowl parade shooters. So first of all, they were minors, so we couldn't get their names. Then we find out, no, they're not actually minors, the ones that did the shooting. But then they didn't show us their mug shots. And then now we're getting the mug shots, so we have them. But now we're hearing, oh, hey, listen, it was just a dispute. And the guy just said he was being dumb. And it feels like all of this... Because it doesn't fit any narrative, also getting reports that the gun used was stolen, it feels like it doesn't fit any narrative. So I don't think the left is really going to touch this one. What do you think, Greg? I mean, I'm sure you saw that clip of Ann Coulter on Bill Maher over the weekend with Van Jones, where she said, you know, the the way we know that it wasn't a white guy who did the shooting is that they didn't immediately release the name and mugshot. And Van Jones is kind of sitting there with a smile on his face, like thinking to himself, yeah, you know, she's right. And she is right. You know, obviously, if a white kid had done if, if two white people had been indicted, even if they were underage, their names and images would have been broadcast around the world. It happens every single time. And I think, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse is a very good comparison. This kid who committed a clear act of self-defense on video, who was a minor at the time, had his life ruined and his face and name broadcast around the world, but it didn't happen here because obviously they were black instead of white. And, you know, the two people indicted with for second degree murder, we didn't get to see their mugshots because they were black instead of white. So, you know, some white privilege that we have here where when it's a white kid committing an act of self-defense, he, you know, he gets his name out there immediately, but people who, 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 who you know, shoot up a Super Bowl parade, they keep their names and their faces hidden. I also love how the way that it's being reported, not only are we not getting a whole lot of information about who it was, you know, we don't hear that they are, you know, Trump supporters and they are white as the fresh snow. We don't hear any of that. But also the way that they're framing this now is, as I mentioned, it's, oh, it was just a dispute. Don't worry. It wasn't an act of terrorism. They were just fighting amongst themselves. Someone from another unrelated group gave them a dirty look, so they decided to pull out a gun and start shooting, as if that's supposed to make us feel better. Don't worry, guys. It was just somebody who looked at someone the wrong way, so they started shooting up a parade, and someone lost their life. I love the way now we're just supposed to take that, and we're supposed to have comfort from that. It's amazing the way the media spins it, isn't it? Yeah, it is, especially when it comes to that, and especially when the narrative turns to guns instead of, you know, the crime problems that have persisted in America's cities over the last couple of years. They think the solution to somebody looking at somebody a wrong way and then shoots them and then, you know, pulls out a gun and starts firing shots. The solution to that is that law abiding gun owners are the ones who have to give up their guns. We have to make it illegal for law abiding people to own guns and that will stop all of this. No, what will stop this is stop electing radical left-wing ideologues who've made it a policy to not put criminals in jail. And Kansas City is certainly one of these places. In 2023, Kansas City set a record for murders that broke the previous record, which occurred in 2020. And this is not this is happening in cities all over the place. We've, you know, you and everybody else has covered the crime wave that has occurred in America since the George Floyd summer of love. This is the real uh, catalyst of gun violence in America. It's not, you know, people in MAGA hats and red states with AR-15s that are the problem. It's happening in cities with Soros-funded prosecutors. You're absolutely right. You know, and I feel like we might have a little bit more 
coverage on this story at this point if Taylor Swift would have been at that parade, but because she wasn't there, I guess now it'll just go away. Just a dispute between some thugs. We're not also not supposed to call them thugs because apparently that's also offensive to thugs. Um, I'm gonna go ahead. And, yeah, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> it anyway. Greg, we always appreciate you. Thank you so much for everything that you do on Twitter slash X, one of the best follows on the platform. So I appreciate you being here, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Tommy. Always great to be with you. All right, folks. Comedy shouldn't have a political party. It should just be a party. But cancel culture has ruined it because liberals, well, they ruin everything. A couple weeks ago, comedian David Lucas made this joke about George Floyd and BLM. And let's just say it did not go over well. Oh, man, all these good white people at my show. And you wanted to show them the reason George Floyd got his neck nailed on. It's just a joke, man. I would have never kneeled on George Floyd's neck. I would have shot that. That was making us look. You know about George Floyd before you get out there. You really still know to be funny, don't you know that? It's called comedy. You ready to go? All right, baby. Okay. All right, you offended too, baby, with the braids. You offended too? Y'all good? I like Kyle Rittenhouse too. I like Kyle Rittenhouse too. You too, bro? God, bro. Oh, but you a little bit, right? All right, so David held out on an apology for his comedy, but alas, he folded. Take a look. There's a clip that is circulating around social media, and um, since that clip has came out, I have spoken to a lot of George Floyd's family. I spoke to Cal Wayne, Trader Truth, Stephen Jackson, and uh, my intention was to never cause harm to his family or make them revisit a moment that happened a few years ago. Uh, I'm a father, so I get it. I understand how his kids feel. I've spoken to his whole family, and um, we've came... Uh, you know, to an understanding as to how to move forward from this. And I uh, just want to apologize to his kids and everybody who was close to him. Okay, so now I've got some questions. Joining me now, comedian David Lucas. So I got to start out with, we played the clip. It's comedy, right? It's, it's comedy. comedy. Uh, you should be able to say things in comedy that maybe rub people the wrong way. Yeah. But after a couple of days, you kind of fold it a little bit. You put out an apology. You got to explain the apology, why you put out the apology, if you regret the first comedy act, and if you regret the apology. I have a lot of questions. Well, following that, uh, I started getting a lot of harassing phone calls. I started getting a lot of threats. Uh, I had to, you know, take my mom out of her house, and I kind of didn't go to my house because people found her number. And so they were like, can you apologize to the Floyd family? And I'm like, well, will that stop all this shit? Will you get off my back? So it, the apology, like I'm never apologizing for the joke because I still do the joke. So right. I'm not apologizing for the joke. But if that's what they wanted to leave me and my family alone, because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing for me. Like I worked this hard to take care of my kids and my mom. And when you start calling my mom and my mom is 65, and she's like, baby, they telling me they're going to hurt you. I'm like, mama, I'm fine, but they got your number, so we need to get you out of that right. house. Wow. Yeah, I got security now. Yeah. It's that bad from yeah. that joke. Now, you said you've told the joke before. You're going to tell it again, but it's because it went viral and probably... I told it this past weekend in Connecticut. Okay. And I what was the, the reaction in Connecticut? So, crazily, 
well, I ain't even going to say crazy, but to my surprise, uh, there were a lot more black people at my shows than normal. And all the black people that came up to me, they're like, bro, like, we're the same way. Like, it's jokes. And also, like, you're going to be the one to break all this up because you look like you and you have a different opinion than what a majority of the black people have. And they're like, look how you look. People are not ready to receive your message because you look like that. But if they listen to what you're saying, they'll understand. And it's so crazy because I've been called a white supremacist. It's like, how? <laughs> well, they, they'll call anybody a white supremacist. They found, out, they found out my daddy's Hispanic and they're like, oh, he ain't even black. And I'm like, what? Well, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And you know that's what's going to happen. But you still tell the joke. You say mm -hmm. you're apologizing to the family if it caused hurt, but you're not apologizing for the joke itself. But let's get into it a little well, bit. I, I knew, I knew I'm, I'm pretty close friends with... Uh, a person down in Houston and I didn't know that George Floyd's in his family and he called me on Sunday and I heard the pain in his voice and I'm like look bro like I'm a comedian and you've been to my shows and you've been supporting me this long and you've heard me tell jokes about white people and had nothing to say about it um, so if I offended you personally bro like I'm sorry you know what I'm saying like I'll apologize to you because I know you so that's pretty much where that came from like as far as standing on the joke I'll stand on that joke and I'll continue to do more jokes like it. It's just who I am. How do white people react to that joke? Because I would imagine that white people might be slightly more uncomfortable than black people with that joke. Well, I built my fan base uh, from Roast Me, which was on All Def Digital, and another, and I was on MTV Your Mama when I was a kid, and I'm uh, the Kill Tony show. So on the Kill Tony show, nothing is off bounds. Like we talk about everything. So the people that watch me from that show and support me already know what it is. You, and and sometimes I'll see people like, uh, where were we at, Darius, when the lady had on a mask in the front row? Uh, Dania Beach. <laughs> Ladies sitting in, you know, the more expensive seats, because uh, my VIP tickets are always in the front because those people want to get roasted. So a lady's sitting in the front row, and she had a mask <laughs> on, and I said, clearly you, you, I can tell you don't follow me. Like, why are you here? She's like, I just want to come to a comedy show. And I'm like, you you didn't want to research the comedian or find out what they're about or what they believe in. And she's like, no, I just want to have a good time. And she was an older black lady. And I'm like, are you, are you easily offended? Because this was Friday and the video had just been released and uh, Dio Hughley picked it up on Sunday. And I'll tell you more about that. Uh, so it was that Friday and I'm like, look, I'm already going through something right now. Uh, are you easily offended? Because I don't need no more hurt people in my DMs. And she's like, no. And she actually had a good time. Even though she wore a mask and we don't have the same political beliefs, she still had a great time. So when you see the mask, that indicates to you that they might be a little bit more uptight? Or maybe yeah, they might not. be a little uptight. They, 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 they might be a, um, a caring, somebody to complain. Because it's like, look, Fauci has came out and said that it's proven that the mask don't do shit. So if I see you with a mask, either you're crazy or you're sick. <laughs> so let's talk about your political views then. Are you pretty open about you know how you feel politically? Are I'm a you, Trump supporter. You're a Trump supporter. Yes. Okay. So how much hate do you get for that? A lot. A lot. But here's the thing: I was a Democrat up until the up until the pandemic, but I was a blind Democrat. I was a, I would say I was a blind liberal, and I was just following the ways of whatever girl I was dating because I've always been in Hollywood, so I was you know too busy auditioning, doing comedy, and doing other things. So, you know, if my girl be like, oh, Obama, I'm like, yeah, Obama, let's go. Whatever I got to do to sleep next to you at night. 
And during the pandemic, I had a chance to actually sit down and look into a lot because for the first time in my life, I was still like I've met from the age of 12 until what was that, 29, 30 when the pandemic started. I never had an opportunity to really like read and study on what's going on. And, and, and when it was happening, I'm like, why are so many people hating on Trump? Normally when people hate on somebody, it's the other way around. They're actually doing more good. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and you have an outside influence that's telling you to hate this person. So when I started um, reading things about him, I'm like, yo, there's, there's no reason to hate this guy. This guy has, has, has uh, given black people the opportunity to have assets giving black people the opportunity to have wealth. And it's like, isn't that what we ask for as a whole? Wealth and opportunities? And do you not see that from this? Like, if I feel like if the black community would take their emotional ears off and just read non-biasedly, they will be surprised as to who they really vote for and who they choose to be their leader. Because Joe Biden, and I don't mean to be on my political soapbox, Joe Biden was voted in blindly based off of emotions. And, and and then for someone to come on a radio show and say, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. I'm not voting for you because you're an idiot, first of all. And you're too old to run a country. You don't even know where you're at half of the time. And you should be in a nursing home with somebody hiding your medicine in your applesauce. That's how I feel about Joe Biden. <laughs> That's how most people feel about Joe Biden. But I'm wondering, though, do you think it's going to change this next election? There's been a lot of talk about... Trump might be able to actually get more of the black vote this time. There's more people waking up. They don't hate Donald Trump as much as they used to. They identify with some of his struggles he's been through legally. Do you think that that's overblown, or do you think more black people like yourself are going to say, hey, listen, let's give this guy another chance because we liked our lives under Donald Trump? I'm from Georgia. Okay. And people look at Georgia. You know, I was raised there. And people look at Georgia as being a, a black state. But that's just Atlanta. And that's a small percentage of the rest of the state of Georgia. So when they told me Georgia was flipped, I'm like, no way possible. I hang around too many black Republicans. How you tell me that Georgia got flipped? Like, I really didn't believe it. But I think um, people are wise. And even during 2020, I was in L.A. and I saw a lot of Trump supporters. And there are also a lot of Trump supporters who me and you both know collectively that can't speak out because they don't want to lose their way of life right. or they don't want the scrutiny that comes with supporting a madman or who, whatever they think he is. But um, if Biden wins, I believe that this country is going to be set back um, because I mean, what's the Haitian lady name that he has as the correspondence? Oh, Kareem Jean-Pierre? Nobody in his cabin knows what the fuck they're doing. I don't even know if I can say that. But nobody in his cabin knows what the hell he's doing. And it just, it makes it look bad as a whole. And that's what happens when you don't vote in, I mean, when you don't give people jobs based on skill and you start doing this inclusion BS. When you just try to be, you know, have inclusion to make sure we we get a black person in or to, or to make sure we get an Asian person in or to make sure we get a gay person in. And then it's like, well, who's good for the job? I don't care if they're rainbow. Right. Like with my company, who's the best for the job? I have a very diverse company. You know what I'm saying? I don't just vote or I mean hire somebody because they're white or hire somebody because they're black. Like, let me see your work. What can you do? What do you think of Kamala? Because some would say that perhaps she got that position to check a box. 
Does the black community like Kamala? I'm not sure many people do, but think, is she I, resonating with the black community? I think they like her memes. <laughs> I think they like her saying she puts hot sauce in her purse. And I think Hillary said that, actually. Oh, was it Hillary? Or, or, what, what, no, how did Kamala uh, pander? She well, said, she said she smoked weed, which we kind of debunked. She said she smoked weed. And something about Tupac, right? Listening to Tupac and, and Snoop. And then... I knew the DNC was a joke when they had Kamala as his running mate. And if I'm not mistaken, in the prior election, didn't she call Joe Biden a racist? Yeah, and during the debates. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, how, how is this your running mate? Yeah. Well, I mean, remains to be seen what they're going to do. As far as Joe and Kamala, Joe seems like, as you mentioned, he can't really do this much longer. And they can't hide it much longer. Right. So it's going to be something. <laughs> I have a feeling that my former governor, your former governor, Gavin Newsom, is going to be the guy. I don't know how they get around Kamala for that. But, you know, you lived in California. Do you think the state's doing well? No. Uh, California has become a hole, man. It's because, you know, but prior to the pandemic, we were all just walking around aloof to what was really going on when we didn't really, you know, look at bigger problems. And then, like I was saying about my political observation, once you actually have a time to sit down and realize what's going on, you're like, God dang, like this... This place has not been ran right in a long time. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I feel like LA is too big of a place and California is too big of a place to kind of vote on somebody based on morality. I feel like you got to have somebody with a little bit of criminal in them. Like when we had Mayor Villaraigosa. Remember when Mayor, <laughs> yeah. Mayor Villaraigosa ran that city right? Like they were pulling knives and pistols out at these board meetings and, and the city was good. It was a great place to be when Villaraigosa was there, and he got caught sitting front row at the Lakers game. And they're like, well, on a mayor's salary, how do you receive front row tickets for you and your girlfriend? He's like, it was a gift. And that was that. And they not dared question this man. What do you think about, speaking of Georgia, what do you think about Fanny, Fonny, Willis? Have you, did you watch that uh, testimony last week? Oh, the lady who got caught with her side piece giving her money? Yeah. It's crazy to me because isn't she the one that's putting Ricos on all these rappers? Yeah, and Trump. And Trump. So it's like, she did a good thing for Trump because you saw how many black people came out in the hood when he was riding through his motorcade. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Do you think he's got a chance in Georgia? I feel like he's got a big chance in Georgia. And I feel like for the black community, especially like in Georgia, um, you know, they didn't see him as human. So when he got arrested, now it's kind of like you're on my level. It's like me, before I met you, I'm like, she's a robot. You know what I mean? Like, look how she talks. Not, not in a disrespectful yeah. way, but you're a robot. Like, she, she, she's witty, she talks fast, and she's not wrong. So to me, like, you, people like you, Ben Shapiro, and Candace Owens, I look at y'all as robots because, like, God dang, I wish my intellect was that high to be able to talk with that much factual information. Like, y'all, y'all just, like, spew it out. So, like, I feel like when he got arrested, it made him look human. Like, oh, damn, Trump got arrested, man. He could be just like me because I can get arrested. Like, that's how I feel like a lot of black people looked at it. And they went out there and they made him a hood. I feel like she made him a hood hero. She's done a lot. Uh, her testimony was great, by the way. Well, they're saying that people are hard on her just because she's a black woman, not because she employed via tax dollars her side piece. and then 700000 right? Yes, 650 something like that. And then they were going on vacations. And then he claimed that, well, she paid him back in cash. She claimed that she had you know, six months salary or more in cash or something like that. So there's a lot going on there. But, you know, last question I want to ask you, do you feel like America racially as as divided as the media would have it seem? No. 
When you see your comedy shows, do you see a good mix of people who find you funny that enjoy being around a diverse crowd? So that show, uh, speaking of the Kansas City Funny Bone, it was probably right at about 65-35 with more leaning white or 60-40. Um, it, it was more black people at that show than I was used to. And 14 black people left, even though the tape tries to make it say that half of the show left. It was like 400 people there. 14 people left, which still at the end of the day is a small percentage if we're basing it off of the whole. And uh, half of the people only left because they were riding with the other people. What happened was a young, uh, some young fans were coming out and they bought the whole table. So they decided to bring, I believe, their parents, grandparents, and, and their aunts. And here's the thing. With my type of humor... And even in that video, when I, there's an end part where I apologize to the old man because you've seen a lot, you know? So, yeah. so racial things might trigger you more than trigger me because I don't live in a world where the white man has suppressed me at all. Sorry, I don't think anybody under the age of 45 should be able to use that as an excuse. So like I told him, I was like, I understand why, why you're triggered, why you are triggered, because you've seen a lot. And yeah. you're in your 50s, 60s, and maybe even in your 70s. But you should also research who you're coming to see. <laughs> And at the same token, like, why am I held in such a higher place than these rappers? I've never killed anybody, and I don't have a criminal history. Because if I did, these BLM fake would have been have found it and put it out, just like they found out about my father and my mom. So it's like, why am I being held on this, this high pedestal of scrutiny from you guys when I'm telling jokes? But when you listen to rap, it's supposed to be real. Right. Where do we go from here in comedy? Because there's a lot of people that are unwilling to do what you do, unwilling to say what you say. I'm going to stand on this hill forever. And I've had a lot of great opportunities that have also came from this. So I'm not afraid. Uh, I have a great support system. Me and all my friends, we need to get you down to Austin. Um, we, we, we have, a, we have a, our own community down in Austin where we can go where the phones are locked up so a, a comedian can be yeah. more free. And I'm about to start that at my shows. Yeah. Well, they do it here at Zany's. So yeah. please let me know when you're at Zany's because I'd love to come see you. I'm sure a lot of people in Nashville would. So please let us yeah, know I have when a you're great back. fan base in Nashville. Shout out to y'all. Shout out to you. I was here watching the uh, Titans game in uh, December, like Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve. And when I went there, it was like I was one of the football players. Well, we love it. We, yeah. we hope you come back. Thank you Absolutely. for coming and spending some time. Thank you for being oh, fearless. And uh, the, do you want to hear about how, like, the Yes, I do, actually. Please. So, this guy, Dio Hughley. Yep. Who used to be one of my favorite comics up until, you know, he started coming from my friend Joe Rogan during uh, COVID. Yep. But it's like, who passed out on stage? And I believe he passed out here at this Zanies in Nashville. You might be right about that. I believe so. I believe so. it is. Yep. Is this pool water? Just, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Just uh, regular from the tap water. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, I feel like I just drank chlorine. Maybe just bring me some moonshine. That might be better. <laughs> uh, so Dio Hughley is the one who started all this. The video, when it was originally posted, had a few million, but nobody was really. Dio Hughley posted it Sunday. And there's a lot of witnesses to this. He continue to talk about me like he did not know me. And that's the part that bothers me. And it's like, DL, could you please tell these people 
that you just asked me to come on the road with you in December. Oh, wow. Just this December, he asked me to come on the road with him. We were both playing Philly, and I went to go see him because he's a roasting comic. So I like, you know, to see that. And it's just like he talked about me on his radio show yesterday. He's bringing me up on his podcast. And he continues to talk about me like he does not know me. And I've had many interactions with Mr. D.L. Hughley. Still respect him as a comic, but but not as a a person that ha- has any type of morale to them because like how can you act how can you disassociate yourself from me? Yeah. Well, I mean it's not uncommon. A couple instances where that happened to myself, Charlemagne the God, talked to him, knows me, talked to me a lot, got some heat for talking to me and then all of a sudden they like wanted nothing to do with me. Trevor Noah, same thing. Went on the Daily Show. He was nice to me. He would text me. He was very, very friendly to me. Oh, got pushback, pretending like he didn't know me. So I'm wondering if people just are too scared or they just use it for fodder for their own content or what you think it is. I think for Dio Hughley, he's built after. Uh, you remember he had that small segment on the news? I do, actually. A few years yep. ago, maybe seven years. I think it was CNN, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm sure it was CNN. Constantly negative news. <laughs> But anyway, I I feel like since then he's had to lean in into what pays his bills. It's like, hey, yo, I get it. But message me. Yeah. And be like, yo, man, you know I had to do that because I got a job and I have uh, a, a certain way I have to present myself in front of everyone else. But message me. Call me. It's not that hard. He knows my information. Yeah. And it's just like, bro, like that would make me feel a whole lot better than like we're all in this together. And 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 you've probably done several jokes where if we go through your comedy specials, you have something that be considered that can be considered cancelable. And it's like I'm a young comic. I've only been headlining for two years. Will I feel the same way about that joke in twenty years? Who knows? But right now, I'm it's my joke. And I think it's clever. And I hate that y'all didn't see the full version. <laughs> y'all saw like a snippet. A sn- well, I would love to see the full version. When you come back to Nashville. Absolutely. When we get the magician out of there and you can perform at Zany's. But we appreciate it. Uh, sorry for the pool water. You know, we're on a budget. so it's a, No, you're not on a budget. Pre- we I, are on I'm a budget. Looking, you can't tell me on a budget. I'm looking at that ring. Jesus Christ. Well. It's nice. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you. you for bringing your squad through. And please do let us know when you're back. Absolutely. And we'd thank love to come so see much. you. Absolutely. You're amazing. Thank you so much. You don't uh, seem as racist as everybody told me you were going to be. I will take it. Uh, that does it for this episode of Tommy Lair and his Fearless. Please catch me tonight on Waters at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. From Nashville, God bless and take care.